So this morning we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you want to get there, if you want to go ahead and get your Bible out and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're talking about some uh, fun stuff this morning. I'm excited about what God has for us. I was doing, doing some reading and I came across a guy named Ernest Shackleton. Anybody ever heard of Ernest Shackleton? A couple of hands went up. All right. He was kind of a nut. He was an explorer. So Ernest Shackleton was an Anglo-Irish explorer. And in 1914, he set out on the Imperial Transatlantic Expedition with the goal of being the first man to traverse the Antarctic continent. Aboard what would be become his aptly named ship, the Endurance, he and 27 men set sail for the South Pole. But along the way, the ship became trapped in ice, setting off a series of events that would lead him way away from his original goal, and it tested him and also enshrined him as a hero. He did not complete his task, not the one that he hoped for, but he did bring back all 27 of his men alive, a magnificent feat of leadership without parallel. The journey took a year and a half. An incredible testimony and sign of lion-hearted courage. So this morning we're talking about lion heart. If you look up the word lion heart, that's not really a word, but it is a word when you add ed, lion hearted. So this morning we're going to be talking about lion hearted courage, lion hearted faith. If you look it up, immense courage. Ernest Shackleton put a, a want ad in the newspaper. It says, wanted, men wanted. For hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. The legend says that he had a bunch of people that just flooded to that call. Why? Like why, what was wrong with people? Like, why do people, why do, why do we hear stories like that and it causes us to, you know, like that, that, that feeling you get when you watch an epic movie where there's a hero that charges into battle. I remember when I was a kid, like we'd watch Karate Kid or Rambo or something. Maybe I shouldn't watch those when I was a kid. But I remember, like, afterwards, like, like we'd, we'd pretend like we had the, all the weapon and the gear, we'd pretend like we were, we were able to, you know, we'd go kick at trees and stuff like that. It's something, it, call, it stirs us, and it should, and that's good. Because there should be lion-hearted courage, lion-hearted faith in all of us. And sometimes we need to be stirred to wake up the lion on the inside. This story in 1 Samuel 14, I hope and pray it stirs the lion. This is snoozing. In the recesses of your faith. Let me give some background before we jump into 1 Samuel 14. And you can read more in depth this background. Really, if you start in 1 Samuel 13, you can understand kind of what's going on in the, in the story. So Saul is king, and Saul's son Jonathan is prince, and they are very different. Jonathan recently won a very victorious, very amazing battle against a group of Philistines, but Saul took credit for it. Not only did he take credit for it, he boasted about it and said, look what I did. And he waved his banner and he blew his horn and he said, I'm awesome, I defeated the Philistines. The Philistines were upset about that. They regrouped and then they said, we're gonna show them. The Bible says that the Philistines were like the sand on the shore in multitude. All of Israel trembled in fear. Their hearts quaked in fear. The vast army of the Philistines far surpassed them. Saul foolishly forced an offering to God. And it was through that forced offering that Samuel the prophet came to Saul and said, What's the problem? Why'd you do that? That was dumb. Now, 
your kingdom will no longer continue. Instead, it will pass to a man who God will anoint, and that man will be a man after God's own heart. And we know, many of us, that that was to be David. Not only did the Philistines far outnumber Israel, Israel only had two sets of weapons and armor. Saul had some, because the king always has the best things. And Saul's son, Prince Jonathan, he had a set, he had a sword, spear, some armor, that kind of thing. There are only two sets in all the army of Israel. Philistine garrison now, at this point, is stationed at a place called Michmash. So remember that name. That's an important name to remember. Michmash is where the Philistine garrison is stationed now. Saul and his army used to be there so we can see that Israel is outnumbered, outgunned, and they are losing ground. No longer are they at Michmash, but the Philistines are. Hopelessly outgunned, painfully outnumbered, and sad enough losing ground. That's where we find God's people in this story. That's where we come to 1 Samuel 14. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into 1 Samuel 14. God, thank you so much for your amazing, glorious word. God, I pray that as we pay attention to your scripture, God, as we look into the pages and into the insight, into your heart, God, I pray that you would find ready hearts to receive what you would have for us today. God, I pray that you would find fertile ground ready to receive the seed of your word this morning. God, thank you for giving us this opportunity to gather and worship you this morning. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 14, you there? One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. Now, if I was this young man carrying his armor, I'd be like, just me and you? Over there? At this point where Jonathan is, they can see it's a distance. There's a, there's a ravine and there's a distance to where all the Philistine garrison is and where they are. It's kind of like if all of this was opened up right now and at the county farm soccer field was all the Philistines and we could see them from here. And it'd be like me and Matt saying, hey, let's go pick a fight. Matt might look at me and be like, just me and you? I know you're crazy, but that's over the top, Rod. You need to take a break this Labor Day weekend. But that's what's going on here. Jonathan said, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Why would he not tell his father? Not out of defiance. Because Jonathan knew his father was arrogant and foolish. And even if he did tell his father, his father would have done something silly like, well, I'm just going to take all your swords and all your spears and stuff, and you're going to have anything. He would do something silly. So he didn't tell his father. Saul, Jonathan's dad, was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. So now Saul is just propped up sitting under a tree in the shade. And Jonathan, in his lion-hearted faith, is very restless. The people who were with him, this is Saul, were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, these are good names, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. Now, a lot of that didn't make sense to you. Let me just kind of explain what's happening here. This is Saul. Saul's basically got what he thinks is a good military chaplain with him. But the Bible inserts this, strangely enough, Ichabod. Now, it wants to show us, it wants to point out the attention to to detail here. This shows us that the reason Ichabod is mentioned, if you know anything about Ichabod, Ichabod basically means glory departed. So Saul, not only is he clueless in a lot of ways... His house, his kingdom is apart from the blessing of God. But then he uses somebody in Ichabod's line, the glory departed, of a failed line of priests and says, this is who I'm going to have as my religious help, my religious advisors. So we, we see that God's people and their king, not only are they outgunned, outnumbered, but they are foolish in many ways, including how they interact and seek God. 
All the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of one was Bozes and the name of the others, Sina. Now here's what's, what's going on here. The Bible is just explaining to us kind of the layout of the ground. So Jonathan is sitting here looking down kind of like a slope, a cliff. Maybe it's pretty deep, pretty treacherous. There's a pass under there that they could go down and then come back up, climb up another side of the cliff, another side of the mountain, and, and get to where the Philistines are. Now, that was good for them at this point because a big army is going to have a difficult time going down into the valley, into the pass, into the ravine, and then climbing back up. But Jonathan, in broad daylight, says, hey, let's go through there and let's see what we can, see what we can do. One crag rose in the north of Michmash and the other from the south at Geba. Okay? So now we kind of understand the layout of the land We understand kind of the background of the situation that God's people are in. Again, Jonathan said in verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Now, this is not a derogatory term. This is not like a a poke at who they are. But this is a religious distinction that Jonathan is pointing out. That these people are not separated and set apart as God's people. Not only are they not just separated and set apart as God's people, but they are against, in defiance, the very heart of who God is, the very work of God in God, in attack, in defiance against God's covenant people and God's work that he's accomplishing on this earth. So Jonathan says, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, these ungodly, these unholy people who are trying to destroy everything that God cares about. Then he says this, it may be that the Lord will work for us. That's pretty gutsy there, Jonathan. You're going to attack, you and your buddy are going to attack a whole garrison. And you say, it may be the Lord will work for us. Then he says, this is a snapshot of his faith. A snapshot right here of his trust and his belief in God. He says, For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Listen to this. Listen to the companion that he has with him. He says in verse 7, And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I'm with you, heart and soul. It's a good friend. A little bit crazy too. So we got a couple of brothers who got some lion-hearted faith. They see, they, they can understand what's going on in the scene. They say, let's do something about this. Verse 8, then Jonathan, Jonathan said, behold. So now he kind of lays out his plan. He says, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. Jonathan's not saying, all right, so we're going to sneak in at night. We're going to make a Trojan horse or if you like Monty Python, a Trojan rabbit. And they're not, they're not going to do anything like that. They're not gonna, it's not guerrilla warfare. They're not going to be Jonathan and his ninja armor bearers sneaking in, throwing the smoke pellets and disappearing in the shadows. He's like, let's go in broad daylight. Let's show ourselves to them. He says, behold, we will cross over to the men. We will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go to them. Now, at this point, if I'm, ar- I'm the armor bearer, which we don't have his name. We'll get his name later in heaven. I'm kind of scratching my head. And I'm listening to Jonathan's plan here as he's unfolding this crazy, lion-hearted, wacky plan. Now, if they say, come to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand. And this will be a sign to us. So Jonathan now is seeking a sign from God. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. Now, at this point also in the people of Israel, there have been some people from Israel who have left Israel and they've gone over to the Philistines. They've kind of moved in. They said, look, we're wet. this is going to be bad for us. We're just going to be a part of your crew. There's some that have done that. 
And there's some that have hidden in tombs. And there's some that have hidden in caves. And there's some that have hidden in cisterns. So God's, God's people, Israel, they're scattered everywhere. And so that's why the Philistine says, look, Hebrews are coming up out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison, they held to Jonathan. They called out. And his armor bearer said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. Now, there's a lot of ways that we can say that in, uh, in common contemporary vernacular. Basically, they just said, what's up? Come on up here. We're going to show you something. Not like oh, we have like a new you know, trick we want to show you. Like, come over here. We're going to show you something. We're going to show you what you need to see, and we're going to destroy you. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, listen, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And then as they've gone down, they're coming up. Jonathan climbed on his hands and his feet. You ever been climbing anywhere? You ever been trying to find that spot for your foot and you, you got to find the spot for your hand? Maybe at the uh, Slidell Rocks, there's a rock climbing place over there. Or if you've been rock climbing, you got to find a place to... So Jonathan and his armor bearer are climbing up this side of the cliff on their hands, on their feet. They're clawing through there. They're slipping and busting their shins. They're scratching and their fingernails are peeling back. This is not easy. And the fight hasn't even happened yet. So Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. I don't know how long it took, but here they go. They're climbing. And they fell. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer and they killed them after him. And at first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men and about a half a length of an acre of land. In verse 15, and there was panic in the camp of the Philistines and in the field and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked. Now God's stepping into the battle. Jonathan doesn't cause any earth to quake. The earth is quaking. And there's a great, very great panic, the Bible says. Can you, all right, so picture what's going on here. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they look into insurmountable odds and say, let's go pick a fight. How are we going to get there? Well, we got to climb down and we got to climb up. That's going to be hard. And when we get there, we're going to be tired. And we got to pull our swords out after we're tired in broad daylight. And there's hundreds of Philistine warriors and they have weapons. Jonathan's like, yep, that's the plan. So they go. And they climb up over the, I can see their heads peering over when they finally let loose of the cliff with their hands and stand on their feet. I can see these Philistine warriors looking at them like, hey, Bill, hey, Hank, hey, Jimmy, let's go take these two, ki- these, these two guys out. And they just kind of come up to them, and then something happens, Right? Jonathan comes out, and his armor bearer is like, and, and, and can you hear the music starting to rise up a little bit? Can you see the dust starting to stir up a little bit? Can you see the clashing? And then all of a sudden, they're like, hey, these guys are beating all of our friends. Come on, let's go. And then all of a sudden, there's turmoil and panic, and they, their feet start wobbling because the earth starts quaking because God starts fighting too. The watchmen of Saul and Gibeah. So here's Saul and his people in Gibeah and Benjamin looked. And behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. So Saul's propped up and he sits up and like, what's going on? Well, look, there's commotion. There's panic going in the Philistines. There's dust rising up. We hear clashing of, of swords and armor. We hear people screaming their last scream, breathing their last breath. What's going on? Then Saul said to the people who were with him, hey, count, see who's gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were the only ones not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, all right, so we got to, basically this is what Saul's saying. Now we got to figure out what God wants us to do. So Saul says, bring the ark of God here, which really probably shouldn't even been there in the first place. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now, while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp, the quaking earth, the war, the battle in the camp of the Philistine increased more and more. Now, at this point, the Philistines are so confused what's going on, they're attacking each other. So Saul said to the priest, okay, withdraw your hand, that's enough. 
So basically, like, Saul's like, okay, so let's seek God. And, and he's looking, and all the, the commotion's going on, and he doesn't know what to do. He's like, all right, well, we, don't, we won't seek God right now. Come on, let's go over here. Then Saul, verse 20, and Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow. And there was very great confusion. Now, the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before, I said earlier that there's some that kind of said, hey, y'all got better food and y'all got better weapons, so we're just going to be a part of your crew. We're going to work for you. Now, the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time that had gone up with him to camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan, which is good. They should. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the cisterns and the tombs and the caves, they also came up. The ones who hid themselves in the country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing. They too follow hard after them in battle. This is good. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth Avon. The Bible doesn't say Jonathan saved Israel that day. The Bible says the Lord saved Israel that day. I want to talk to you this morning about lion-hearted faith. Having lion-hearted faith. I want to mention a couple of dynamics about lion-hearted faith. Lion-hearted faith actively, get your hand out, I can hear him rustling a little bit. Lion-hearted faith actively takes initiative. Actively takes initiative. Here's Jonathan. He knows it's the odds are not in his favor. The Bible says, one day, Jonathan. And I love that's just that phrase. One day, Jonathan. This is a day. What does, what does your story sound like? One day, Paul. One day, Rod. One day, Melissa. One day, Scott. He just took some initiative. Didn't, didn't really count the cost too much. He said, I got to do something. I got to do something. Lion-hearted faith takes initiative. There's a, couple, there's a few things within that, that we can really pull out that can help us. I think you can remember these things throughout your week, and they can help you. It doesn't mean that you're going to take a sword and a friend and go defeat a military army. But you can take some initiative. The first thing you can do is start where you are. Start where you are. Next spot on your handout. Start where you are. You're not looking at the foolish king over here saying there's a big military army that is opposing us. There's a ravine. There's a pass. There's a cliff. We only have a couple of weapons. That's not your story. But what is your story? Start where you are. A lot of people, and I remember when I was young, I would think like this. A lot of people, they, they, they say things and they think things like, well, one day, whenever I get to where I can fill in the blank for you, whenever I have a better job, whenever I have, you know, a, a spouse that's supporting me and behind me, whenever I finally get that college degree or I finally get that position, that, that's when I'm really going really to bend what God has given me towards his glory and for his fame and for his honor. No, start where you are. Start now. If you're a 10th grader, start in the 10th grade. If you're retired, you can barely get out of the bed. Start there. Ask God, like, what do I have? I'm going to start here. And just seize the day. There's a Latin phrase, carpe diem, seize the day. One of my favorite movies is Dead Poets Society. And Mr. Keating was teaching his group. He's an English teacher in the movie. And he's teaching these group of boys. And he, and he tells his boys, he says, we are food for worms, lads. 
Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. Now I'd like for you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces in the past. So at this point, he's out in the hallway. He's in the trophy case in the hallway at this school, this old school. And there's these black and white pictures of these boys standing there that look like they're about to conquer. And he says, lean in, look. Look at those faces in the past. And as he walked by many times, really look at them, he says. They're not that different from you. Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you, Phil. The world is their oyster. He says, they believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you believe. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, and as he took these boys, they were leaning into the trophy case, and they're all looking at the teacher like he's weird, like some of y'all are looking at me right now. So he's like leaning them in towards this trophy case. It's got some trophies and these black and white pictures. He says, lean in, listen. What do you hear? Listen. And these boys are looking, and they're... And then Mr. Keating behind them starts whispering carpe diem. Seize the day. And then they're looking at each other like, this is getting weirder. He says, listen to them, listen to them, seize the day. Take advantage of the day that you have. Start where you are. Jonathan, whispering from the past this morning, he's saying, seize the day. Start where you are today. Start now. So start where you are. Use what you have. The next line on your handout, use what you have. I can imagine Jonathan is he's looking up at the stars at night and he's hearing the celebration of the Philistine camp and he's hearing them sacrifice and worship to to false gods, I can imagine Jonathan just going crazy at the situation that's going on. And everybody else in Israel are terrified. And Saul, the king, is being foolish. And he's just like, I got to, what do I do? I got to do something. And I imagine that Jonathan scratches his head and he remembers a guy named Shamgar. You recognize that name, Shamgar? We only get a few verses in the book of Judges about Shamgar. It's a good name, right? If you're going to be having a boy soon, name him Shamgar. Maybe not. Ask your wife. Shamgar took an ox goad and killed 600 Philistines by himself. Jonathan, I believe, is probably just thinking like, Shamgar. He had an ox goad, a little bitty tool to to like redirect oxen when they're working. That's all he had. What does Jonathan have? He's got a custom set of weapons and armor. That's what he had. What do you have? So start today. Start where you are. But what do you have? And a lot of people get to this point and they're like, man, I ain't got nothing. I don't have anything. You're telling me that God can't use you? You're telling me that you have nothing to offer? So you want to be back quaking in fear with the rest of everybody? You want to be propped up in the shade under the pomegranate tree doing nothing? No. Start where where you are. Use what you have. 1 Corinthians. This verse will come up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is Paul talking about the various gifts. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. There are varieties of service but the same Lord. The varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everybody in this room, you have something. You have some type of gift. You have some type of armor, weapon that you can use. You can start now with what you have. If you don't know what you have, 
Ask somebody to point it out to you. A lot of times somebody that knows you well will point out what you got. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Everybody in here, if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, you have the tools, you have the weapons that God has given you, the gifts and the talents and the abilities. You have those. Not only that, but you have the full armor of God. You have what you need. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Some of you folks that helped out with VBS will probably remember this a lot. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's true. That verse is true, people. Let me read it again. His divine power, power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So stop saying, if I could just... If I only had, one day I could because then this will be fixed or that or whatever. Start where you are. Use what you have. What else did Jonathan have? And Jonathan had a loyal friend. There is incredible value in loyal friendships. We should have loyal friends. You need people that can look at you and say, I'm with you, heart and soul. You're going to charge into the fire? I'm with you, heart and soul. Who are your friends? Who are the ones that are walking with you? Who are the ones that are helping you, who are encouraging you? Accountability. Most of you who are in D group, this rings true right now because you understand the value of having Loyal friends who can understand and walk with you through whatever ravine, pass, climb you're dealing with, battle is ahead of you. Jonathan had an amazing friend. Proverbs 27, 17. Many of you know this verse. Iron iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. Who's sharpening you? The people that you surround yourself with, your friends, are they sharpening you? Are, 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 is their character and their, the quality of their friendship, is it setting just right on the blade of your life? Or is it right down the middle and it's, just great and it's making you dull in every way? You need friends that sharpen you. And if you start walking with God and being passionate about his will for your life, and his work on this earth, then the friends that you have that are not good and loyal friends, that don't look at you and say, I'm with you heart and soul, a lot of times those friends will go away. You don't have to say, I can't be your friend anymore. You just have to look at Jesus and say, I'm following you wherever you send me. And the friends that aren't good friends, they're going to leave. They're not going to stick around. You don't really have to burn bridges. Bridges burn from the other side most of the time. Now sometimes, you might have to tell somebody, Your friendship is toxic. I'm sorry. And Paul would recognize this when he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Do what you can. That's what Jonathan did. He scratched his head. He's like, all right, here we are. This is what we got. Here's what we'll do. He made this plan. He put put together this offensive maneuver plan. He's bold, this lion-hearted faith. And lion-hearted faith always plans for action. Embrace that climb. Understand what's before you. 
James 2.17 says this. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. Do what you can with what you got, with where you are. What are you doing? Ask yourself that question. What are you doing right now? I know you're sitting in church. You're listening to me and you're watching your clock. But more than that, the essence of your life right now, what are you doing? Who are you loving? Who are you serving? Who are you encouraging? What's, ask yourself, what's my personal plan for making disciples? Ask yourself, who are my unchurched, my lost friends? What are, who are they? You should know some. Lionhearted faith is always moving. It's always moving forward. It's faith in motion. That's the way faith cooks the best. It's like gravy. You can't pour the, the gravy mix in the pot and turn it on and walk away, can you? You got to keep stirring it. You got to keep, you want gravy faith. You don't want mosquito haven faith where you see that pot of water that's out in the corner of your house and you look at it and you're like, that's gross. And you see the mosquitoes and stuff because it's, it's stale. It's just sitting there. It's not moving. It's doing nothing. But you want a bubbling, boiling faith like gravy that you got to stir all the time. And God stirs it and he pokes it and he keeps it hot and he keeps it moving. Your faith has to keep moving. It's got a plan for action. Yep, I said you have to have gravy faith. Said it. Did you get it though? One of the things you see with Jonathan is he looked for a sign. He looked for a sign. I would uh, offer just a word of caution here. Careful. Seeking a sign, if you're you're always like looking for a sign, like, well, I'm just looking for God to give me a sign. That could be your way of getting God to submit to your will. It could be your way of saying, hey, God, I want you to do what I want you to do. But you should pray. You should let the Spirit lead you. Let God's Word lead you. Seek counsel from a mentor, from a leader, from a pastor. The example of Jesus. I know we, it's cliche to say, and, and we, we've used it a lot, what would Jesus do? But, you know, it's still a good statement to ask yourself. Seek God in, in prayer and let the Spirit lead you and run to his word and, and, and let God speak to you that way. You could go stand out by I-10 and say, if I see five 18-wheelers in the next five minutes, then I know God wants me to do uh, give $5 to five people tomorrow. That would be a sign. Like, that's just silly. So be careful when you're just trying to always look for a sign. We don't have to necessarily do that anymore. God gives us what we need. We have the wisdom of the, of the Spirit and the wisdom of the people in our lives. And God puts counsel in our lives. Seek those counsel mentors. The contrast of what John, of, of Jonathan, and he's actively working, he's, he's stirring in his faith. The contrast of this is Saul, who's propped up in the shade, doing nothing, looking religious, right? He's got the ephod, he's got the priest there, he's got all that kind of stuff. He's just looking religious. He's acting like he knows. But in reality, the glory is departed from Saul. The glory is departed. I mean, he's got Ichabod's relative with him. You don't want Ichabod's relative with you. Another dynamic of lion-hearted faith. Lion-hearted faith actively pushes back darkness. Lion-hearted faith actively pushes back darkness. 1 Samuel 14, 6, John, John said, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. See, Jonathan realized he was pushing back darkness. He realized that the war was spiritual. 
The Philistines, they stood, like I said earlier, in open defiance against God and his people. And he took it personal. Jonathan took that personal, and he waged war. He said, I'm going to push back darkness. Now, that's, that's lion-hearted faith that says that. And there is a war around you constantly. There's a fight all around you all the time. There's a war for all of us. I put this statement in here. It says, it'll be in your handout. If I think I'm not at war, then I'm worse off than I realize. If you think you're not at war, if you think there's not really a fight going on in your life and around you, it's way worse than you, you realize. It's bad. Because you're, you're defeated in more ways than you realize. There is a war. And it's happening. It's warring for you and for your allegiance, for your love. So how do we fight? How do we push back darkness? Do we take a sword and just run into a bloodbath? Our fight presents itself I believe on two different, fr- two different fronts. First of all, God must awaken us toward kingdom affections. God must awaken us toward kingdom affections. See, some of the Israelites, they moved in with the Philistines. They weren't, they weren't a part of, who, of, of God's people. They, 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 they said, well, we're, we're going to pull back and we're not going to follow God anymore. You have, to, you have to have God's word in your life. You have to hunger for God. You have a prayer life. You have to seek God. Humble dependence on God. See, there's a war going on right now in your life for that. There's a fight going on. And you know, let God lead you. Let, let kingdom affections awaken in your heart. Psalm 63, 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Do you earnestly seek God like that? Do you, do you thirst for God like that? Do you faint for God like that? And if you're relaxed in your seeking in God, if you're propped up in the shade and you're not really seeking God passionately, then you're losing. It's, it's bad. It's it, you should realize it's, it's, it's rough right now. Your life, your spiritual condition is rough if you're not seeking God. We should all desire to seek God and be filled with his spirit. Let God's spirit lead us, convict us. Do you want God to convict you? Do you pray that? God, please convict me of sin in my life. God's spirit comforts us. The kingdom affections for having a heart that longs for God. Kingdom affections for biblical community. We get to worship God with other people. Isn't that great? You get to come here today with other people who have been redeemed and saved. You get to come and you get to worship God with them. You should long for that. It shouldn't be something Sunday morning where you're like, well, we didn't go last week, so I guess we'll go this week. Come on. There's a fight. (laughs) There's a war for your affections. Realize that, that, that that's coming at you. Like, be with God's people whenever you can. It's not about checking off a box so you can feel better about yourself. It's about investing in who God puts you together with. There's a, a family of faith that we, we worship together. We pray together. We embrace one another's difficulties together. Kingdom affection of not just worshiping with people. What about the kingdom affection just embracing your sanctification, of growing in God? You're growing. You're on a path. God is growing you. Are you embracing that path? Are you walking with God in that? Are you asking God to, to, to keep growing you, keep making me personal in my personal life more like you, daily, constant, persistent? I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. I want to grow in you. Make me more and more like you. Like that's a war. That's a fight. You need to wage war against that. You need to let God stir in your heart those kingdom affections for him and for the things that he cares about. Otherwise, you're going to look back at your life one day. You're going to say, I'm just a big bucket 
of mosquito haven water that's just stale. And I'm not, there's no movement in my life. There's no flavor there. There's no passion there. Let God awaken those kingdom affections so you can live patiently in difficult circumstances. You wake up in the morning and there's pain all around you. Don't get bitter. Let God use that. Let it, let it make you better. And press into him. God, God's not done with you. He's working with you. And he's not just working in you. He, like he is with you himself. You have to realize that this little fight at Micmash, you have to realize that every day is a skirmish at Micmash. That's on the screen. You might need help with that spelling. Every day is a fight. Every day is a fight. There's people, there's, there's fight, there's, there's a fight in this room right now. In those pews, in front of you, next to you, where you're sitting, there's war. Man, it's raging on. Every day is a skirmish at McMash. It's hard to say. I'm not going to try five times. Every day there's a fight. But so, so God helps us push back the darkness in our own lives. Every day there's a war for your allegiance. There's a war for your love. There's a war for your affections. Every day there's a war. And God helps us push back against that darkness to awaken us toward kingdom affections. There's another front that this fight is on. God must stir us toward kingdom advancement. So God must awaken us toward kingdom affections and God must stir us toward kingdom advancement. Jonathan said, let us go. Let's go. Let's do something. Let's make, let's, let's step out on faith. Let's go. Looks at his armor bearer and, he, and the armor bearer's like, all right, let's do it. Let's go. Let's push back the darkness in our own lives. Come on. You got what you got. You got what you need. Let's push back that darkness. But let's also, let's also look at the kingdom issue that's going on. Let's, let's take that. Let's advance the kingdom. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Jesus looks at all of us and says, let's go. Let's go. It's kingdom advancement. Our life must be about kingdom advancement. The essence of kingdom advancement. God saves us to send us. God saves you to send you. The gospel, and Matt says, has said this many times, the gospel came to you while it was on its way to somebody else. You can't be a cul-de-sac. You've got to be a, a, a pipeline. God saved you to send you. Now, it doesn't mean that you've got to like, all right, kids, we're moving to the deepest, darkest part of Papua New Guinea tomorrow. Now, I would say that if that's somebody that says that God's calling you to do that, go do that. There's people that need Jesus, and they need to hear the gospel, and maybe they need to hear the gospel from your mouth. But start where you are with what you have. The kingdom advancement in your life. Look, Israel was losing ground. We can look at our culture. We can look at the fact that a lot of our mainline denominations and our churches are declining. We're not baptizing a lot of people in our denominations. We're not discipling people. People aren't flooding into the doors of church. It's just not happening in our culture. Because there's darkness, and we got to actively push back against that. See, Jonathan knew that he had to do whatever he could to take back Micmash. And he risked it all for that. We must be taking the gospel in some shape or form or fashion to where it is not believed. Whether that's next door or to the remote corners of the globe. Kingdom advancement is, is the reason that I'm breathing. It's the reason that you are breathing. Kingdom affections for God and Him and His and who He is to just enjoy His presence. 
to worship him. But it's not just for us. Kingdom advancement. Are we propped up under the pomegranate tree? Are we hiding in a cave, in a cistern, in a tomb? Recently I was at a church and they sang, wherever he leads I'll go. And I have a problem with that. Because most people that were singing that, they were lying through their teeth. Lying. The lion-hearted faith doesn't just say, wherever you lead, I'll go. The lion-hearted faith says, God, I'm going to go until you stop me. I'm going to go until I drop, until I die. Did you notice something in this story where Jonathan didn't carve out time where he's like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? It's not what he did. I hear a lot of people say, well, if God calls me to do that, then I'll do that. I don't hear a lot of people say, I'm going unless God stops me. You don't hear that. People don't say that. And some people are like, well, that's too foolhardy. That's too reckless. I think we have an, I think, I think we can find a pattern, an example, even in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 16, this is just Paul explaining what's, this is what's, not, not, Paul's not the writer of Acts, but this is explaining what Paul's, what, what's, what's going through with Paul. And he says, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now that's not the common consistent pattern in the New Testament because many times you'll see in the book of Acts that they prayed and asked God to show us where you want us to go. But I think all of us, like if we have the faith that God is wanting to stir in us, I think there should be a story that we have that we're like, uh, I'm going, I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm praying that God blesses it. And if he doesn't want me to do it, I pray that he slams the door on my face if he has to. See, Jonathan didn't know whether or not he was going to survive. And there's a lot of people that are sitting back under the pomegranate tree with Saul. And if they knew Jonathan was rushing out into that in just sure disaster. The, the calamity is just sure. There's been a lot of people that have been like, you are foolhardy and reckless to do that. Young man, you need to calm down. That's not what Jonathan did. And I don't think that's what God is calling us to do. I think God's calling us to waken a lion-hearted faith and to push back darkness and to waken the kingdom affections. See, God doesn't just save us to send us. God saves us from us. Without him, I'd live for me. I would only think of me, my comfort, what I want for me. And that's not what God is calling his people to be. He's not calling us to say, hey, do whatever you can to be really comfortable and we'll just ride it out like that, pal. It's going to be a blessing. Just prop up. No, God calls us. He saves us to send us. He saves us from us. Most people are like, I can't do that. That's too much. I'm too weak. I believe with all my heart that every Christian every day is a missionary. Every day. I'll say it like this. and you can, uh, It'll be on your handout. You need to lather up your routine with a thick coat of kingdom advancement. That should be pretty memorable for you to lather up. Lather up your routine with a thick coat of kingdom advancement. And I'll ask a question to you. When you came here today, 
when you pulled in the parking lot here today, was one of your goals, whatever God wants to do and use me today, I'm ready, I'm willing? Or were you like, I sure hope they, they do what I want them to do. I sure hope he doesn't preach too long. I sure hope the, I, I don't get too wet from my car to the door. So sometimes we, we show up every day thinking about us and our needs and our kingdom. But you know what? You need to lather up your routine because tomorrow's Monday. You got a Monday. Can you say, well, you know what? There's no way I'm going to be doing any kingdom advancement because tomorrow's Monday. Yes, tomorrow's Monday. Jonathan, in open daylight, just ran headlong into the Philistine garrison. In open daylight. Look, you got a, a, an appointment to get your hair did this week? That's part of your routine. Let, does your barber know about Jesus? Does the clerk that you see every time at the store that you go to once every Thursday at 1145 to get the same three things... Does that person know that the most important thing in your life is Jesus? Your neighbor. Who are the people that live around you? And do you know the spiritual condition of their lives? You have to lather up your routine with kingdom advancement. You're not here for you. You're here for others. You're here for God's kingdom. The server at the restaurant. You know what you can do? See, here's, here's what I noticed the other day. I went, this was uh, after church, a couple of weeks ago, we went to a restaurant, and I noticed a lot of the people in the restaurant had on their church clothes, and they were all acting grumpy. And these servers who are working two jobs, single, trying to get their kids fed, and they come to your table and you are redeemed by God, and you're a jerk. Like, God, help us. We've been waiting 20 minutes. Who cares how long you've been waiting? You will get fed that day, I promise. Meanwhile, there's this server that's, that God has brought into your path, and you're too concerned about making sure your steak has got to be perfect. please. Look, lather up your routine with kingdom advancement. When you go to the restaurant today, before you pray for your meal, just look at your server and say, I don't know if this might sound kind of weird, but we're about to pray for our food. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? Do that. That's not hard. That's not hard. And they might be like, no, I'm good. I've had that happen a lot. And then I'd say, are you sure? Oh, yeah, I'm good. Really? Everything's great in your life? So when you press a little bit, sometimes people, they, they kind of droop a little bit. Well, yeah, I guess you could maybe pray for my dad because he's got surgery coming up. Okay. Look, I've had people, it's amazing, and it's not me. It's uh, really the people who I, I was with that day. I've, I've seen a server sit down with us at our table boohooing because we just wanted to invest in her lives. We don't want, your, we don't want to make sure you get my fajitas here and not mess them up. Like God has put me in your path. And I'm going to capitalize on that. Because that's the most important thing. So do that. When you leave and you go to lunch, or maybe you're going home, your crock pot's bubbling a little bit. When you go to lunch, just ask your server, how can we pray for you today? I don't do that enough. Good question to ask. Are you offering God a canvas or are you offering him a coloring book? See, when we have the, the parameters of what we want God to do in our lives, when we put those parameters up and we, um, we say, here's a few colors, God, just make sure you stay within the lines that I've drawn. Don't do that with your life. Be a canvas. Just say, hey, here's a blank page, God. Here's a blank slate, blank canvas, whatever you want. Paint it on there. I'm ready. I'm willing. I'll do whatever you, you want me to do. Look, that's, that's why we're planting a church. Like, I love, love, love this church. And my family loves this church. And we would totally be fine serving here until I drop. But God's calling us to plant a church. Because over 75% of the coast does not go to church. And planting a new church is proven to reach more people more effectively. So what else will we do but plant a church? We're not going to prop up under a shade tree and say, well, this is really good now. We've got it going on. 
No. Every Christian should be able to explain how they're advancing the kingdom. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And Jesus said it like this, the harvest is plentiful. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers. Pushing back darkness is and should seem like a monumental task. It should. Jonathan believed that God would show up, and God showed up. Jonathan hoped for victory, but listen to me, get this. The last thing on your handout. Our fight is from victory, not towards victory. Do you get that? Like we are fighting from a place in our lives that we have already won. We have been coated with victory. We are winners, okay? We have won. The victory is ours already. We're not charging into a battle hoping that we win. We're charging from victory and we're cleaning up the mess that's still out there. Our fight is from victory, not towards victory. Take the initiative to push back darkness regardless of the cost because we've already won. But listen to me, get this. Jesus is the true and better lion-hearted prince, okay? Yes, we got a great example from Jonathan. Jesus left all comfort, the comfort of heaven, and he climbed the mountain. He charged into enemy territory, and he conquered, knowing not just that he would die, that he would suffer and bleed and die a horrible death. Why? So he could conquer you, and he came to you. And it's not maybe the Lord will work for us. It's Jesus saying, I am the Lord and I have won. I have guaranteed victory. I am the Lord and nothing can hinder me from saving by many or few. And then when Jonathan said, and he said, one day, Jonathan, listen, one day, Jesus, King Jesus will establish his ultimate throne and all, all skirmishes will be over. There will be no fight at Michmash for your life anymore. There's not, not going to be any war, any fight at all. The kingdom is advancing and advancing and advancing. And until that day, please, may God's people stand up and say, whatever the cost, I'm going to go head first, whatever it costs me, however painful it might be, because it's worth it, because my king is worth it. Jesus still crosses enemy lines today. Listen, we can look at this story and say, yeah, I'm kind of like Saul. Or, man, I'd like to be like Jonathan. Or maybe I, maybe I just want to be that, that armor bearer. And I think our lion-hearted prince is charging forward, and we want to be like the church that's like that armor bearer that says, I'm with you, my king, my prince, heart and soul, I'm with you, wherever you're leading us. But in reality, we're the Philistines. And Jesus has come to us. And the garrison of your heart quaked when the Lord the lion-hearted victor entered and the tumult, the camp continued and raged and raged and raged until he achieved full victory. There's a lot of people, I believe, there's people in this room today. That's where you are. You're, you're not fighting for kingdom affections and for kingdom advancement. You're fighting the king. You're fighting the lion-hearted prince you're fighting Jesus, and he's going to win. Like, and, and just throw up your hands and surrender. Say, I'm in. Say, I don't, I don't have to have all this figured out. I don't have to have every question answered. I'm in. I'm in, God. I'm ready. I'm in. Pray. Pray for this church as we, as a faith family, embrace kingdom affections and kingdom advancement. Pray for me and my family as we've, we've already moved to, an, to the other side of Gulfport, already praying that God would establish us in areas of the community, and God's already put some uh, amazing, loyal friends in my path here at this church that have basically looked at me and says, I'm with you, heart and soul. It's awesome. The next thing coming up that we have for uh, Harbor City Church, the church plant that we're working on, is there's a meeting during Sunday school in this room on September 16th, pray that, pray that God would uh, use that to clarify anything that needs to be clarified for somebody. 
And then we're going to start meeting weekly on Sunday evenings starting October 14th. And we're going to charge with all we got the Philistine of the the garrison of the Philistines so we can let God have the victory. This morning as we as I close, I don't know what God is, I don't know what war is happening out there. Maybe you just need to surrender to God. Maybe he's calling you to himself. And you say, today is my day that God's calling me to receive him in faith and salvation. I pray that you would just give up. Just say, I'm in. I'm in. Or maybe you're a believer. Maybe you're a Christian. And you do realize that you spend a lot of your days, a lot of your life, year after year, propped up under the shade tree doing nothing. Well, just pray that God would stir in you and cause you to desire him and desire kingdom advancement. See, Jesus, not only does he make our hearts tremble, but he causes the darkness to tremble. And he's pushing back darkness. Every angle, every step, every day. And I want to be a part of that. And I pray that you do too. We're going to have a time of invitation. Pastors are going to be down here. I'm going to be down here. Come and pray and receive and do.